It's an amazing way to make a living. There's a very, very, very high ceiling, uh, but there's a very, very, very low floor. So if you want to do it for fun with a YouTube show or a podcast, totally cool. Uh, like if you could see yourself doing something else, you probably should. We welcome you to a very, very special start of a very special podcast series. Welcome to the Beyond the Broadcast series by yours truly, Wyatt Bomeyer. And I'm Charlie Jacobs. Thanks so much for joining us. If you are a fan of Baseball Rewind, then you're going to love this two-part podcast series. In our first installment, we're talking to two prominent figures from the sports world, and there's a lot about them you don't know. So for our first uh, episode, we sat down in studio with Danny Parkins, an afternoon host on 670 The Score. Why? It was a lot of fun. You know, it was very insightful, I would say. I, I have an interest in going, to his, going into his field of work in the future, so I must say that, you know, it was very eye-opening and very inspiring, Charlie. Yeah, so without further ado, let's get into the interview. So we are here with Danny Parkins, radio host on 670 The Score, so thanks so much for coming in today. Thank you guys so much for having me. This is a, uh, a blast from the past as a new Trier 2005 alum, WNTH class of 05. So is this your first time being back since then, or...? Basically, yeah. Uh, I moved back uh, to Wilmette. Um, I, I grew up in Glencoe, but I, I bought a house in Wilmette a little less than two years ago. So never really had any reason to to come back to New Trier. I, you know, I was here at my, I guess the last time would have been my, I don't know, but I mean, my sister, my youngest sister's high school graduation, you know, it happened at, at, at Northwestern. So yeah, I don't think I've been through these doors in a solid uh, 15 plus years. Yeah, so uh, when and where did you kind of become interested in the radio field? And did that have anything to do here with WNTH? Because I know you were a big part of the station here when you went here. It had everything to do with WNTH. Um, I had, uh, I have scoliosis, but I had spinal fusion surgery in high school. So not that I was any good at sports, but I was like on the golf team and, you know, played basketball, not for Nutria's team, but, you know, intramural. And uh, had to, had to stop that for a while and a guy in my chemistry class who was a year older than me said hey you should come out for the radio station this is my sophomore year and i was like i didn't even know Nutrier had a radio station he's like it's on the fifth floor mm -hmm. like i don't even know we have a fifth floor and uh yeah the first thing i ever did on air was play-by-play -play of girls volleyball here at Nutrier and uh fell in love with it so did you know football basketball play-by-play saw I mean amazing things that we can talk about if you want but you know our our girls team went down and lost in the state championship to Candace Parker uh the boys football team uh, the boys basketball team my best friend to this day still Ben Kaplan was the starting point guard they ended up going down to to sectionals at the United Center lost to Sharon Collins and Crane um before he went on to get a full scholarship at KU uh, Sharon Collins, not my friend Ben, and uh, you know saw John Shire uh, at Glenbrook North beat up Nutrier. So you know saw saw some cool things. Did a radiothon where we raised you know five figures for tsunami relief my my senior year. So a lot of fond memories of this place. Well, there's certainly no shame in losing to Candace Parker. So yeah. Did, did you have a show too, or you just primarily do play by play? I had a show. I had I had a show um, before school with my friend Will Peregrine, who's still a good buddy of mine to to this day. We did we did two different time slots. One I want to say was after school, and then one was before school. I forget which year was was which, but yeah, did a talk show. 
um, brought on guests, you know, whoever would call me back. Harry Tynowitz, uh, who went to New Trier, was on a popular sports radio show back in the day called Mac, Yurko, and Harry on ESPN 1000. He was my first guest. My brother's best friend growing up was Craig Council, who's now the manager of the Milwaukee Brewers, but at the time was uh, still in the big leagues. So he, he called in and then just, you know, whoever I could get and then, you know, giving takes and having my friends uh, call into the show. I think the only people listening were our parents and our friends driving in, but uh, it was an absolute, absolute blast. I loved it. So later on in high school, when you kind of started thinking about college, did you know uh, then and there that you wanted to go into something sports journalism related? Um, and how did the college selection process kind of play out for you? Yeah, you know, I, I, I did it here at WNTH. I thought I was good at it. I loved it. Um, it didn't feel like regular classwork. And then, you know, I found out more about the fact that it was like a real job and that people actually made money doing it, which blew my mind. And so I asked the college counselor, I was like, if you wanted to like be on the radio for sports, what would what would that mean? She was like, broadcast journalism. I'm like, all right, where are the best broadcast journalism schools? And she gave me the list of like the top 10. And the ones that I hadn't heard of because they didn't have good sports programs, I crossed off. And then Northwestern I crossed off because it was too close to home. And I was like, all right, so tell me about Syracuse, Missouri, and the University of Southern California. And uh, she was like, well, Missouri has a, a minimum ACT, like where if you get you know, a 26 on your ACT, you get into Mizzou. If you get a 30 on your ACT, you get into Mizzou with honors and like financial aid or whatever. And I was lucky enough to have a score higher than that. So I was like, all right, cool. Automatically accepted to a top five journalism school in the country. And then I applied to, I visited all three schools, Southern Cal, Syracuse, and Mizzou. And when you go to Syracuse and uh, why you said you were interested, yeah. have you been? I have not, but I have my list of schools. I think Syracuse is on there. ASU, they have a great program. ASU uh, does have a great program. Chapman, yeah. which is in Orange County, I believe. And Missouri was on there, uh, I think, uh, what's it called? Uh, it's in uh, Kansas. That was on oh, there, Oh, Rock Chalk Jayhawk, KU. Yeah, so, I mean, so, yeah, like, uh, ASU would be a blast. You know, it's a gorgeous campus, great weather, very pretty girls, nice time. Uh, KU, same thing. Uh, not as good a weather, but amazing campus. Syracuse has a great campus. It snows over 100 inches a year. But um, when you go into the student radio station at Syracuse, WAER, and there's just Mike Tarico and Bob Costas and Marv Albert and Ian Eagle and Sean McDonough and all on and on and on all their faces on the wall. It's pretty ridiculous. Like these other places have great sports, like they've got great broadcast journalism programs, but Syracuse has this alumni network of just an insane number of people that made it work in sports. That's uh, that's pretty incredible. Like all the connections, it's just that's got to be kind of for the first time seeing like all these famous faces on the wall. That's got to be kind of like shocking and almost like daunting. Yeah, I mean, I, listen, I got I got into Southern Cal, and um, you know, I was tempted to go to you know Reggie Bush had just been there, uh, the the beach the, the beach the whole thing, and um, I was very tempted, but seeing all those faces on the wall. And just thinking about like what it could mean. And, you know, you know, I've talked to a lot, basically every person that I just mentioned, I've either had on my radio show, met, talked to. Um, but really, the truth is, if you guys want like a little tip to the game, it's, is, is that my phone? <laughs> it's Siri going, going, going crazy. crazy. Siri going off? I'm so sorry. That's like legitimately never happened before. So I'm going to just turn my phone off. 
I'm so sorry. It's fine. How how unprofessional. It's always nice to have a bit of I, uh, comedy. I mean, yeah. yeah, but I've never, I like honestly, like my series never gone off, so I don't know what's happening there. Sorry about that, guys. But I will tell you, the, the truth is, uh, and maybe your teachers wouldn't like me saying this, what I learned in the classroom at Syracuse, number one journalism school in the country, is maybe, I mean maybe, 1% of why I work professionally doing what I do. Meeting all of the kids who are there older than you and then eventually younger than you as you move through that know what they, that they want to do this from the beginning. Like our high school or our college radio station has cuts. You know, Nick Wright was there when I was there. He's my best friend in the world, morning host at Fox Sports 1. He was a senior. He ran the radio station. I was a sophomore. Two guys named Andrew Filipponi and Mike Meltzer were juniors. Meltzer did 10 years of morning drive in Houston before he ended up getting two law degrees. Andrew Filipponi still does afternoons in Pittsburgh. Guys who were there when I was there, Steve Gelbs, he works for the Mets broadcast. Mike Cousins, he works for ESPN. Zach Berman, he wrote for the New York Times. Uh, Andy McCullough uh, covers baseball for The Athletic. Um, on and on and on and on down the list. Like Those kids are the guys who I kind of came up with and taught each other and we competed against each other and all of that. And like those people uh, are the people that you network with and make you a lot better just because like you're doing it with people that have known they've wanted to do it since they were your guy's age. Right. So what was your on-air experiences like at Syracuse covering sports? Um, and then how did that set you up for the beginning of your career uh, post-college? Post I mean, I, at, at Syracuse, I did a talk show at Z89, a talk show at WAER, play-by-play for the kind of like secondary teams. We did like high school football, women's basketball, uh, lacrosse, things like that. The main radio station play-by-play -play was for the men's basketball and the men's football team. But I was more interested in talk at, at that point, having done talk shows and play-by-play -play here. And so I, I, did, I focused on the talk show staff part of it at WAER, which is where I did Syracuse basketball post games, Syracuse football post games, magazine journalism style uh, interviews and shows like that at WAER. So long form interviews, some play by play and a lot of talk shows, both like normal sports talk shows and post game shows were, were what I did at Syracuse. And as for how it prepared me for afterwards, I mean, I was, you know, I graduated having run WAER's talk staff. My senior year was the number one talk show person coming out of the number one talk show or the number one broadcast school in the country. And I was still unemployed for 10 months. And then my first job was moving back to Syracuse, kind of embarrassed that I hadn't gotten a better job, making nine bucks an hour working and living with two people from Craigslist uh, that I didn't know uh, for my first job. And then my first big break after doing that for about 10 or 11 months was in Kansas City, hosting my own show, making $30,000 a year. So run those numbers by your dad. Uh, or your mom, and have them tell you if that's good. It's not, uh, and so, but so the 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 industry it prepared me to do it. But what I always tell people is like, if you want to do it professionally, it's an amazing way to make a living. There's a very, very, very high ceiling, uh, but there's a very, very, very low floor. So if you want to do it for fun with a YouTube show or a podcast, totally cool. Uh, like if you could see yourself doing something else, you probably should. If you can't see yourself doing anything else. It's an amazing way to make a living. It's very competitive. I've got I have a ton of people who were really good in college, graduated, either got jobs and got burnt out because they never broke through, lived in cities they didn't want to live in, or never even got jobs and got this really expensive education and never were able to make it because it's such a competitive industry. So it's an amazing industry, but it's um, 
you gotta love it. You gotta love it. You know, it seems like you really have to be at the top. You have to give it your all or else, I mean, there's cuts like you said, and you really have to go the extra mile or else you're going to end up like a majority of people and not be able to make it. Yeah, I mean, but, and, and again, like, that's okay. Like, there's there's nothing wrong with having a podcast with your boys and just having fun and having it be like your, your recreational outlet or your hobby, right? I mean, now all you need is a microphone and a laptop and you can have a podcast, like the barrier of entry. And that's why the entry-level jobs pay nothing because – there is not a lot of supply of jobs, and there's an insane amount of demand, people who want to get paid to talk sports on the radio. So it's just – so the entry-level jobs don't pay much because there's so many people who want to do it. So you have to really, really, really grind uh, in order to kind of break through. So on Monday, we actually we talked to Dan Bellino. He's an umpire. It was uh, very interesting to get to him, but, I mean, he had some really, like, insightful things, whereas, like, it parallels what you were saying with the fact that, hey, umpires, when they first go into the minor leagues, they're getting paid nothing. Yeah. There's cuts. It's, like, a really tough life, so that kind of goes with what you were saying, but in, like, a different, like, field. Yeah, I mean, I remember my buddy, uh, you guys know Adam Lefko. So he went to Syracuse. He hosts the TN. He's basically like Ernie Johnson for Inside the NBA, but on Tuesdays. Yeah, so, yeah. So he did, uh, did stuff with Bleacher Report for a long time, now works for Turner. He was another guy who was at Syracuse with me a, a year ahead of me, and now he's, you know, a millionaire. Dwayne Wade and Travis Kelsey were at his wedding doing the horror with him. He's a legitimate celebrity on national TV all the time. Uh, he would talk about how, you know, he had to go to uh, a small market, and then Louisville, and then another small market before he broke through at Bleacher Report, and all of his friends were like accountants and traders and making money and going to clubs and bottle service and doing all these fun things, and he had to pay his pay his dues and bide his time, and now all he makes more money than all of them, and he's got a way cooler job than all of them, and he loves his job, so like he. It's like that scene in the Shawshank Redemption where he crawled through 500 yards of bleep uh, to come out the other side. Like it, the, the the beginning is really really tough, but if you make it through, it's pretty awesome. So uh, we were reading some articles about you. Um, just kind of get ready. I'm sorry. And uh, <laughs> and uh, something I mentioned is that your ultimate goal really was to come back to Chicago. So yeah. how did you land the job at 670 and really? Uh, just kind of make your career goal of coming back to the place, you know, where you grew up uh, to do what you loved. Yeah, I should have dreamed bigger because I kind of got my dream job at like 30. And I was like, I should have wanted to be president or something. (laughs) Um, Yeah, you know, um, so when I got to Kansas City in 2011 and I graduated college in 2009, I thought I'd be in Kansas City for like two years. I thought I'd just market hop my way up and just – Maybe I'd go to Miami. Maybe I'd go to Detroit. Maybe I'd go to Cleveland. Maybe I'd go to Minneapolis. Like, whatever. Just, like, keep market hopping. But Kansas City just was really good to me. They kept promoting me. Two-hour show became a four-hour show, which became a drive-time show, which became the highest-rated show. And, you know, I met my wife, fell in love. Family was great. And all of a sudden, I was, like, really happy in Kansas City. And I had interned at ESPN 1000 here in Chicago. And then, uh, so Adam Delavitt was running the station then. So I knew him. And then Mitch Rosen, who still runs the score and is my boss now, knew him a little bit just from, like, emails, you know? And uh, I tried to get a job at the score right out of college. They almost hired me. They didn't for a producer job. And uh, really, honestly, it was one of the best things that could have ever happened in my career was me not getting that producer job. Um, And I can talk about that if you want. But I basically, once I realized, like, damn, I'm happy in Kansas City, um, I emailed both of them basically the same email. And was like, 
if and when you're ready to hire me, would you hire someone from Kansas City? Or like, do I need to prove it in a bigger market? And they both said no. And like, you're in an NFL market. You're covering the World Series. Like, you get good ratings. Like, if we ever get to a point where we want to hire you because we think you're ready and good enough, like, we could see ourselves hiring a Chicago kid who's on the air in Kansas City. And when I got that from the two people who ran the two Chicago radio stations, I basically stopped networking everywhere else. I stopped talking to people in Pittsburgh and Buffalo and Minneapolis and Cleveland. And I still network with them from, like, uh, creatively stimulating stuff. Like, hey, is this good? Is this not? What would you do here? Et cetera. But in terms of, like, trying to get jobs, I stopped. And so then um, Terry Bores, the legend, uh, at the score, longtime afternoon host, he got sick, and everyone knew Terry was going to be retiring. And so I kind of uh, angled to have my contract be up around when everybody kind of in the industry knew that Terry was going to retire so that I'd be able to make the jump. And um, I came in under the cover of darkness, and I hosted five overnight shifts for Mitch Rosen. That's without, brutal. Without telling my station in Kansas City, which was a huge risk. Um, and so I hosted from midnight to 5 a.m., because Mitch wanted to know if I could do it. So I hosted solo five hours overnight and just did Chicago sports talk and took calls and wasn't allowed to promote it on social media. wasn't allowed to put guests on. It was just like me, the microphone, and calls. And um, did it. Didn't hear from him for like two months. And then he called me and offered me the job. So that was – and then so I've been in this – I've been at the score since uh, January of 2017. Started in middays and now I do the afternoon show. So at this point, I definitely call you a veteran of the sports field. So at this point, have you really learned any, like, lessons you could, like, tell yourself, like, hey, like, right when I'm going out of Syracuse, like, anything you could say to yourself about, like, how to prepare or, like, tell anyone else how to prepare for this field? Well, so, if, I mean, like, I think the, the money thing and the only, only do it if you really, 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 really want to do it. Like, those would the things that I already said would be, would be pretty big on, on that list. Also, to be honest with you, like, a few things. Um... I wish I double majored in college. I wish that I would have taken my actual like classroom work a little bit more seriously, not in the journalism department necessarily, because I took those classes pretty seriously. And like I said, for this industry, what I learned was almost exclusively from like student media as opposed to the classroom. But, you know, because it's such a brutal industry uh, and the failure rate is so high, it would have been nice to like, instead of having a political science minor, have a political science major. And just like like have like a little bit more of an educational fallback plan, and um, just because it's there's such a burnout rate. And then the other thing is, I don't necessarily believe in like the ten thousand hour Malcolm Gladwell rule necessarily, but what is true is you just have to do it. Like I the the, the hardest job to get for me was the first job, the Syracuse job that paid nine bucks an hour. One because like you're convincing someone off of college radio tape to give you that job. The bosses that hire don't know how many people listen to your podcast. They just know how your podcast sounds. So just have a podcast. You know, I, I can't tell you how many kids I hear from that are like, I want to be on the radio. I'm like, cool, where can I listen to you? And they're like, oh, I don't know. I don't have anything. I'm like, that's insane. Do you have a laptop? Yeah. Do you have 40 bucks? Yeah. Okay. Then buy a microphone, plug it into your laptop, and do a podcast. Like, teach yourself how to audio edit. Teach yourself how to upload video to YouTube. Do you have a laptop with a webcam? Almost all of them do. Like, put your stuff on video and audio because then 
the whole world is shifting to video, right? Like we broadcast, we're a radio station at the score. We broadcast on Twitch. We used to broadcast on Facebook Live. We put out clips on Instagram and TikTok and Twitter. I don't do it. Like, you know what I mean? But like, if I was a young person coming up, I would need to know how to do all of those things. So like, divert, don't pigeonhole yourself into like, I will just do play by play on the radio, write articles, work at the TV station. Like you need to be like as well-rounded of a multimedia professional as you could possibly be. Because like when I was in college, I mean, Barstool didn't exist. Spotify didn't exist. Those are huge hiring places now you know what i mean that's just fox sports one didn't exist you know um so there's just like the industry changes in so many ways that i would say like diversifying and diversifying your talent now whatever you think you want to do and you're best at definitely give that the most of your attention which is what i did with with sports talk but i got very lucky like if i would have gotten that producer job i might have been pigeonholed as a producer forever I didn't get that producer job, so then I had to go back with my tail between my legs to market 82 and work for 9 bucks an hour, but I was hosting the Danny Parkin show. So then for better or worse, the industry looked at me as a host, and then they hired me as a host in Kansas City, and then they hired me as a host in Chicago, and hosts make way more money than producers and get the glory and all that stuff. So like, know what you want to do, set it as your North Star, but be ready to pivot as you move because like, the first job and the first five jobs that you take might not be, they won't be like the exact thing, the exact thing that you're going to want to do. Yeah. Kind of like stick your hands in all the pots, explore your options, but still focus on your main goal. But be like, keep in mind, like if that doesn't work out, you should have a backup plan. Yeah. Cause I mean, you don't want to spend 200 grand on an education and then have it not work. And then like have to go back to school and like take out student loan debt and, you know, not, not have like a real viable backup plan. Um, and again, like you just, you have to just really, and f- that's part of college is like figuring out what you want to do. Um, so that's what I would, that's what I would say. Like, that's what I would tell myself if I was, if I could speak to 17 year old me, that's what I would say. Like diverse, it worked out doing it my way, but I got lucky. You know what I mean? So like, I, I, I definitely cut some corners with not double majoring, paying attention in class, could have done more at the TV station or the newspaper. You know what I mean? I I, I cut some corners, um, and I would, I got I got lucky. I got lucky. So kind of shifting gears a little bit more to today. Uh, you know, Matt Spiegel, your radio partner, obviously. So did you know him at all before you uh, got this show? And like, just in general, how important do you think kind of having on-air chemistry is? Because you know, we've listened to your show and we can see that. And obviously, that's you know, one of the most important parts of of hosting a show. I think it's the most important. Um, I think it's number one. PTI works because Wilbon and Kornheiser have chemistry. First take worked because Skip and Stephen A had chemistry. Period. It's the number one thing. Uh, and no, it was an arranged marriage. Um, I did not really know my partner in Kansas City. I did not really know Matt Spiegel. We knew each other a little bit of the industry. Uh, then I worked with Dan McNeil, who we did know, but who I did know, but twenty five years older than me. Like it's not like we were hanging out all the time. Um, I consider that one of my better strengths as a talk show host is figuring out what people do best and like i'm like a pass first i'm I'm like a shoot first point guard like i get my takes out and the show kind of revolves around my takes primarily but like i know what spiegel's best at and i toss to him in those ways and i know what my producers are best at and i toss to them in those ways and like if i just highlight everybody's strengths and then i'm versatile and can kind of play off of them 
uh, that's a huge thing. And then it's just uh, like you guys should go like see a, a show at Second City. Like you guys know anything about improv, either of you? Yeah. So what's the number one rule of improv? Make you, isn't it make your partner look good and you, you will shine? That that's what my that's what my fifth grade drama teacher said. So I'm not sure. You're close. You're close. You're close. Uh, number one rule of improv is yes and, like where you know what I mean. So like wherever the person is going, you build on it. You don't want to be like, saying no. You don't want to be a conversational roadblock. You know what I mean. So like Spiegel and I, even if we don't know what the other person is talking about, like tell them you don't know what they're talking about, and then make fun of yourself for not knowing what they're talking about. Right? Like he knows everything about music. I know nothing about music. So we turned that. Our he can't have a music conversation with me. It kills him. But we can have a conversation about him kind of like teaching me music he'll be like this song was by the beatles danny the beatles were a band <laughs> bands are people who play instruments together into microphones and it's like a funny recurring bit you know so we you just you got to figure out what people like what their strengths are what their skill sets are and it does not happen the moment you turn on the microphone it it, it, it takes it takes time reps work so kind of staying on this like comedical side, do you have any favorite like interviews you've done so far on the score? Oh man, I mean, th- those questions are so hard. Um, you know, I'm a Cubs fan. Getting to have like a pretty good working relationship with Theo Epstein was unbelievable. Like Theo Epstein donated five grand on the spot to a radiothon that I did for the score because he just texted me during the radiothon and was like, I'd like to contribute. You know what I mean? Like we don't talk all the time now, but, and we didn't talk all the time then, but like the conversations I had with Theo were pretty, pretty incredible. Um, It's fun to talk to like the movers and shakers because then it feels like your job's making like a small difference in the sports world. It's like when I was in Syracuse, and Jim Beheim would listen to my postgame show and call in because he's a crazy person. It's like, I'm talking to the basketball coach after the basketball game because he heard my take about who should be the point guard on the team and Brandon Trish or Scoop Jardine, and he thinks I'm an idiot, and he called in. Like, that's amazing. Um, you know, in Kansas City, talking to Joe Buck outside of Gate D of Kauffman Stadium before he goes in and calls a World Series game against the Royals, for, for, for the Royals, it's like, it's unbelievable, you know? Um Joe Buck's buddies with Spiegel. He calls in probably four, six times a year. Um, I've had Costas on. I've had Tariqa. You know, I've had all of those big broadcasters on. So that gets me going because I love the broadcast side of it. Um, so it's hard, man. It's hard. I mean, Bob Odenkirk was amazing to 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 have him on the show. So you know, people people like that. People from The Sopranos or The Wire, like doing some pop culture stuff, which has been awesome. So I I can't pick one. I really I really can't. But it's fun. It's fun to be able to – that's the beauty of having a four-hour blank canvas every day. I can kind of do what I want. Is it hard at all to, like, fill that entire time slot, or do you guys have, like, a pretty good understanding of, like, what's going to take up that time? We have a pretty good understanding. You know, we have a pre-show meeting every day at 1. We have a Google Doc that's always going for the next day's show. We have a group chat. We've got some paid contributors that are that are going to be on. We, we plan the week ahead, uh, you know, generally speaking. You know, so um, – it depends. It depends. You know, there are definitely like Bears Mondays. Those days are easy. You watch the Bears game and you come in with 10 and a- 10 hours worth of opinions and Spiegel comes in with 10 hours worth of opinions and Tanny, our sound guy, puts on, you know, gets the, the best sound together and Shane books a couple of guests, our, our EP, and has a few jokes and a few outside the box angles. And then we just... We just go. We we could we could literally do ten hour shows on Mondays in football season, and it would be no problem. Um, 
you know, July 14th on the third day of the baseball all-star break when the Cubs and the White Sox are both 10 games out of first place, those shows are a little trickier. You know, February 22nd, three weeks after the Super Bowl, that show's a little trickier to fill four hours. But you got four professional broadcasters in the room, and it's much easier, I can assure you, to book uh, guests on a 50,000-watt radio station in Chicago. People want to come on and promote their their act, their stand-up comedy thing, their book, their whatever, Like than it is a, a high school radio station. So, you know... Um, the money gets bigger, the pressure gets bigger, but in some ways the job gets easier because you have multiple producers and it's easier to book guests and all of that. So it's like kind of counterintuitive. Like the bigger the job, some in some ways the easier the job. So this is another kind of funny one. So at this point, we've seen all the Chicago sports teams. None of them are good right now, yeah. which sucks. So in your opinion, is Chicago sports really hell or is it <laughs> – is it on the uptick? Well, listen, I mean, you know, people are like, when I left Kansas City uh, and then the Bears drafted Mitch Trubisky and the Chiefs got Pat Mahomes, I couldn't, t- I probably heard from a thousand people over the course of like three years, like, oh, I bet you wish you were still in Kansas City. No, I don't. I mean, Pat Mahomes is awesome. I wish he was a bear, but I'm like home. I see my family and my high school friends all the time and I'm in the third biggest city in the country and making money that I could never have made in Kansas City and all of those things so like I obviously care about the teams doing well it's better for business if they do well but uh the goal is to get ratings I mean we did, we had to do four-hour radio shows in March of 2020 April of 2020 May of 2020 June of 2020 I don't know how good you guys are at history but uh, there weren't any sports being played in those months. And the advertisers all pulled their advertising because no one was in cars. So we had four-hour shows with, like, four to eight minutes of commercials an hour and no games to talk about, and you had to do shows. So filling the time is never a problem. Um, the teams being good or bad, you know, Justin Fields is an amazing thing. The winter meetings is fun. You got two baseball teams. It's a Bears town. You got the Bulls, which has a huge international fan base like we're we, we we're fine fine and stuff to talk about you have any uh, predictions you want to tell us about how you feel about all the recent baseball trades you know kind of sad to see wilson Contreras go but you know cody bellinger's coming it seems like you know both the the bears and the cubs things could be looking better next season yeah i mean the the bears are in great shape they're they're gonna have a great draft pick they've got a great quarterback on a cheap contract and they've got a hundred million in cap space so over the next two years, I think the Bears are going to build a very nice team around Justin Fields, who I think is going to be, you know, an MVP candidate. So I think the Bears are their future is as bright as it's been on the offensive side of the ball anyway, in a long, long time. Um, and the Cubs are finally spending. You know, it's been, it's been. The goal was sustained success and to win a World Series. Theo delivered on the on the World Series. He did not really deliver on the sustained success. So uh, my guy Jed spending some money. And I think there are going to be more signings to come. So, yeah, it will be should be an exciting season on both sides of town uh, with baseball and expectations again. should be great. Well, once again, Mr. Parkins, Danny Parkins with us from 670 The Score. Yeah. Thank you for joining us. This was, this was amazing, Charlie. Yeah, this was a lot of fun. So thanks so much for coming on. I'm sure it's cool to see your old high school and, you know, looking uh, cool with all this equipment and stuff. So, yeah, thanks for coming on. Yeah, you guys are very lucky. Um, yeah, just – 
stay involved. Keep grinding. If I can ever help you guys out, uh, do it. And I did the first ever Radiothon at WNTH, and we raised, I want to say, like $16,000 for tsunami relief. It yeah, was, they actually just did one a couple weeks ago, so that's still going. Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, I love that. I We raised $700,000 and built a grocery store on the west side of Chicago. I did a Radiothon at The Score uh, summer before last. Going to hopefully do another one next year. So, like, the power of these microphones, don't don't take it for granted. It's, uh, it's a cool thing. So I'm glad you guys are interested in it, and uh, thank you for having me on. Wow, Charlie. That was, I mean... Honest to God, that was a that was amazing. Yeah, no, that was really awesome. So thanks again, uh, Mr. Parkins, for coming in. It was a lot of fun. And make sure to listen to his show afternoons on 670 The Score. And you know, the coolest thing, I think, Wyatt, was that this is his alma mater. He was a uh, new cheer class of 2005, and the school looks a lot different. It must have been really interesting to, to kind of come back. You know, it's always great to have a uh, previous Trevian coming back and supporting the group. And, you know, quite eye-opening, as I was saying, I mean... Uh, WNTH alumni, he was just, he was on top of the radio world here at Nutrier, and I mean, he's on top of the radio world, ne- world now. Yeah, absolutely. So that is going to wrap up episode one of Beyond the Broadcast. I'm Charlie Jacobs alongside Wyatt Bowmeyer. Coming up in episode two, not going to tell you who it is yet, but we will be talking to a Major League Baseball umpire. You heard that right? So stay tuned for that. We will see you later.